Previously on Too Close to Home. We covered the trials of David Spence and his uh, co-perpetrators and Fazell and Simmons' rise to fame as a district attorney and detective and the crookedness that follows. So let's go. You guys, this is Jen and this is Becky, and this is Too Close to Home Lake Waco, Lake Waco Murders Part Three. three. Oh, yes, the finale. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis. <laughs> <laughs> Just to reiterate my uh sauces because I always love to give credit where credit is due, Bloody Happy Hour, which is a really good podcast. Um, the cool thing about that podcast was they're actually two ladies who are from Waco. And so they have a lot of local ties and understanding of the case. Um, episodes 31 and 32 with bonus episodes with attorney Walter Reeves and attorney Russ Hunt. Wikipedia, donate if you got the money, baby. <laughs> Texas Monthly, The Murders at the Lake by Michael Hall. Excellent read. Excellent read. So let's pick back up the TRC, uh, which is the group that are working on pro bono cases to overturn unfair trials for death row inmates they started working to disprove the bite mark evidence remember how much i love forensic odontology <laughs> <laughs> they set up a blind panel of odontologists and do a two-part study analyze the autopsy photographs for marks and compare the marks with dental molds dental molds from spence and four other subjects he sent the molds and five by seven autopsy photos Refusing to enhance the images as Campbell had done before because, according to experts, doing so could produce false or misleading results. Though the experts identified several patterns that were possibly bite marks, they couldn't go much further. One said the photos were of such poor quality that he refused to compare them against the molds. A second wrote that the marks were more likely than not made by insects or artifacts. If its purpose of the exercise, he continued to match these marks to a set of teeth, it borders on, on, on the unbelievable. And a third thought that the contusions on one body were probably probable human bite marks, but he couldn't match any of the molds to them. Two others did not match a mark to one of the molds. Two others did match a mark to one of the molds, but it was not Spence's. It belonged to a housewife from Phillipsburg, Kansas. Mm. So reliable? We think not. I don't think so. Bad news was the report would would not be complete in time for the October 1993 deadline for depositions. However, they collected all their depositions and filed as this was Chile's last shot as a new trial. February 16, 1994, Judge Black rejected the writ in a mere three-page, three-paragraph reasoning, quote, not persuaded that this evidence was material. Right after the TRC team appealed the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in December 1994, they were forced to shut their doors in September 1995. Just like all good things, they come to an end. Congress had yanked funding, and Shonen still persisted and stayed working for Chile Pro Bono. But in March 1996, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals rejected his appeal with Judge Edith Jones, stating that while there were inconsistencies and prosecution withholding evidence, it wouldn't have changed jurors' minds even if it had been introduced. That gets me. Like, 
That's a lot of speculation. There's been a lot of speculation in this case. Well, like, that wouldn't have mattered anyway. They wouldn't have thought. How many times have we thought that someone would think something one way only to surprise them to think another way? I mean, prime example, send a text to somebody that after you've had an argument and see how they take it versus how you take it, you know, that you cannot determine how someone's going to interpret anything unless you present it to them and then ask them. Mm -hmm. You can have an argument and then the next day say, how are you today? And they could take it like, how are you today? Yeah. Like there's so many things that you're interpreting that could be interpreted wrong. Showman in an effort to gain momentum, even with the route of media sending a pinch to 60 minutes, but the case was so complicated, no one was interested. And that's, I mean, if you look at a lot of these true crime shows, most of them are solved. Everybody likes a neat bow tied on a case. So, and if it's something complicated and not black and white, obviously they're not going to, they want to be solid in who's the wrong and who's the right. Sure, especially if your name's going to be on it, you want your name tagged to a win, so to speak. Yeah. And if you're not going to be able to figure it out, you don't want your name tagged to, well, she couldn't even figure this out. Right. I don't want to be tagged to uh, railroading somebody, you know. Definitely not that. No, that might ruin your TV show. <laughs> Eight months after the circuit's ruling, John McLemore called Showman. It was an investigator hired by waste insurance magnate Brian Pardo. Brian, who always favored the death penalty, had decided to meet the hometown monster only to find a mi- overweight middle-aged man who proclaimed his innocence. McLemore and Pardo went over transcripts and, gr- transcripts and grew incredulous as he discovered that there was no evidence of him being guilty. How can you put somebody on death row without evidence? I'm not sure he's innocent, and I'm not sure he's a good idea, but what is happening is wrong. Pardo set up room in his corporate headquarters and hired additional investigators to work the case, as well as a blood spider analyst who stated that teenagers could not have been transported from one park to the other. The blood, which had flowed from each body in predictable lines and had not smeared or intermingled, seemed to indicate that they had died where they had been found, in Spiegelville Park. If this was true, then the confessions of the Menelendez brothers were decidedly false. Hmm. And honestly, like, I can't even say what I'm about to say because I don't want to spoil it. Dang it. (laughs) April 3rd, the new death sentence date was fast approaching and Showman tried every last effort, even in even speaking to the Bush administration, George Bush was the governor of Texas at the time. There's far too much doubt to carry out an execution. It's immoral to go forward with this much doubt, but to no avail, Chile was set to die. Chile met with his loved ones and then was strapped into a gurney, looking out upon the relatives of the Lake Waco victims. His last words were, I want you to understand I speak the truth when I say I didn't kill your kids. Honestly, I have not killed anyone. I wish you could get the rage from your hearts and you could see the truth and get rid of that hatred. He then turned to his family and said, I love you all. This is very important. I love y'all and I miss y'all. Okay, now I'm finished. And at 6.32 p.m., he was pronounced dead. Fuck. They killed him? They did. Mm. Now, Brian Pardo, his publicist reached out to Frederick Dannon in spring in 1997. Dannon and an accomplished journalist for The New Yorker, was known for his ability to get interviews with tough subjects from the Los Angeles Police Chief Daryl Gates to New York drug kingpin Lorenzo Nichols. He had a penchant for investigative journalism. Pardo's publicist sent over a writ of habeas corpus for him to review. While not super knowledgeable about the death penalty, the conviction didn't make sense. 
Spence's attorneys made a stronger case for prosecutorial misconduct than the state had made against him for murder. It's not that I thought he was innocent, but I thought they can't execute him based on this record. At that point in time, Chile was only four days from his execution. Once he found out his stays had fell and that failed and that Chile was executed, Dana decided he needed to go to Texas for answers. Dana goes to Texas with retired detective Peter Bloom to research Chile's case. He met all the folks from the defense from Brian Pardo, who gave him all, all the copies from his work, Spence's former attorney Walter Reeves, and of course Raul Schulman, Schoenman, who noted that out of all the reporters he met after Chile's death, that Dannon was the only one interested in who Chili was, the real David Spence. And when I was writing this, I think that's about the time that I stopped wanting to refer to him as Chili. Because he wasn't, Chili was this persona that he had created and wanted to be like this shot caller, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The real person behind that was David Spence. The year that Spence was executed in 1997, there were 37 death sentences carried out in Texas. Three in 1996 only. And David Spence became an epicenter that really fueled the argument in capital punishment. An HBO documentary released two months later, The Execution Machine, the Texas death row features Spence in his final week. Some 40 pounds overweight, his eyes staring blankly, the inmate looks soft and harmless. If they execute me on April 3rd, he told the camera, it would be cold-blooded calculated murder. I gotta look him up. Carry on. Like, it, they're not who you think they are, like, when you see them, you know? Dan and Bloom started really running with the case and met with old Vic Fazell, who still maintained that Spence was a thousand percent guilty, and eventually gave Dan access to hundreds of tapes he had made of the conversations in his office about the Lake murders. They then reached out to Simons, who was still with the Waco Sheriff's Office. After a nice conversation, he left with a parting, parting threat. Simon says, what do y'all heard about Waco? Bloom later recalled in an affidavit. I replied, was there no Truman? Then Mr. Simmons said, people get killed here real easy. Then leading for in for emphasis, he added, even cops. Oh. Right? Dan, Dana became the creepy lady in the, creepy lady of the apartment complex, knocking on doors, trying to ta- track down the story to the case, and was savvy at getting people to talk, including Jill's aunt. Jan Thompson. Like, you know, we all know that, like, creepy lady in the apartment that's like, I need cat food for my cats. <laughs> and all our cats are, like, mummified and dead, you know? <laughs> Don't open the door. I got caught with her for two hours last week. <laughs> I had to throw tuna at her. He went down to Dallas to meet Munir Deeb, who had civil suit of $100 million and lost that against Fazel Sim- Simons and other law enforcement officials. And he was running a limo business and spoke on Amnesty International panels, including one that was with the Dalai Lama. Dannon returned to New York City to provide a proposal by the Lake Murders, which was bought by Simon & Schuster. Despite warnings from Bloom and friends, Bloom was the cop that had went with him, uh, Dannon returned to Austin in October 1998, the same month that Gilbert Melendez passed away in jail due to complications of HIV. And the reason I said that was like, I had posed this question, why did we announce this? Why is it that we announce when someone dies from complications of HIV versus like, you ever see someone pass away on your Facebook and they don't talk about it? Yes, and it drives me crazy. FYI, you should always put 
like when I die, put it out there. Everybody wants to know. Don't make yeah. them research it. Like, don't let us just narrowly put out like, oh, this one died of HIV, whatever. Put out everybody's cause of death. Don't exactly. just single out because HIV could have happened to anybody in the 80s. Okay. Whew. We've seen some, you know, documentaries of that time. It was fast and loose. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it was. I mean, but it just to me, it seems cruel that like he was already in prison for something he didn't do. And then he dies of HIV, and we're going to announce that. Like, oh, serial killer, this killer died of HIV. Nobody feel bad for him. Fuck that. Well, just a fun fact. Mm-hmm. Um, at least with the state of Florida, I'm not sure about the state of Texas or any other states there for any inmate that dies while in custody, you can look up the full death report on the, like, for Florida, the FDOC. And now that is the ingenuity we need. Yes. I want to be able to look up anyone's death. Mm-hmm. Anybody's. Yep. If you die tomorrow, damn be sure. I will promise you this. I will Google every reason. Did you die of a car accident? <laughs> Did you die of cancer? Were Same. you shamed in the back alley? Same. <sighs> if you ever, like, can't sleep one night and you look up FDOC for the Florida Department of Corrections and you scroll down and look up their death reports and then you can go to the year and click it, it'll list every inmate and you can literally click that person and pull up the handwritten reports or typed report about, Yeah. It's a whole new world. Mm-hmm. It's whole fascinating, shit. fun read if you're into weird it's shit. It's like you're Aladdin and I'm Jasmine. Yeah, whole exactly. New world. <laughs> I'm going to find out so many things. Go ahead and give me my Grammy right now for that. <laughs> Can we do a speech now? I want to thank you. Watch out. Here comes Will Smith. <laughs> oh, I did not see that coming. <laughs> no one did, especially Chris Rock. <laughs> I did not. My one good joke today. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, back to serious shit. <laughs> Dannon would work double time with interviews to exhaustion. One night after talking to Sergeant Bayer, which was one of the first detectives on the case that was assigned with Simons, um, he got pulled over by no one other than Jan Price. Oh. She was still working for them. She go, He goes, she scared the hell out of me. Talk about a commanding presence. I told her I was exhausted after talking with Bayer for five hours. She smiled and said, I would turn anyone's head around and let <laughs> me go with a warning. It's a bad bitch. Fucking love her. Dannon started working on a theory started by Shoneman that was actually a drug deal gone wrong, even consulting a New York City detective who supported this theory, saying that this was a murder frenzy and not a thought-out plot. And he turns his attention to Kenneth, Kenneth's father, Richard Franks. Now, Kenneth's parents had divorced in 1975, and Richard had since then had come out as gay. And even in that time, you come out as gay, you were bullied, picked on, discriminated against. Right. It was seen as the scarlet letter in a way. Kenneth lived with his father, and his father's partner, also named Kenneth, King. <laughs> And after a year of trying to speak to Richard, he finally agreed to sit down to an interview. In the interview, he was a father in mourning, but said little about the case and seemed to know more than he was divulging. After a visit with Jan Thompson, which was Jill's aunt, he got some more information that alluded to this as well. Both her and Richard had attended Spence's sexual abuse case, and Richard had said he had received a phone call that night that made him think something was wrong, but never expanded upon it. And that was like the night of the murder. He had got that phone call. 
During his interview with Jan, he found out a young woman had written her in 1983 stating that she had seen Kenneth and the girls in the Pinto at Cone Park. And later on, Kenneth in the front seat of a maroon Lincoln Continental with Robert Fro. Fro? Fro? R what? F-R-E-U-H. Fro? Sounds anyway. good to me. Anyways, he was a local pedo preacher who favored teen boys, and she believed he had something to do with it. A pedo, a pedo preacher, like yeah, pedo, pedo, okay. pedo, pedo. Like, I was just making sure I caught that right. I mean, you, you just casually said it and kept on. <laughs> I mean, we talk about Catholic priests. It's kind of a well-known. I'm just kidding. Uh, here is a good note. He is dead. The pedo preacher. He was stabbed to death by in 1991 by a teenage boy that was his victim. Okay. Um, he was actually I ain't mad at you. Yeah, right. He was actually questioned for the murders. Never accused. Jan, despite being thankful for the arrest of Spence and Simon's work, she had always had a lingering doubt about the situation, and she kept that from her family initially. One of the being uh, the mistaken identity where Chili thought it was uh, Jill, but it was really Gail. Well, Jill was actually large-breasted, and Gil Kelly was flat, which, I mean, I feel like that's rude that you have to point that out post-mortem, but whatever. <laughs> And she was sure that somebody, <laughs> uh, like a man, like Spence, would have noticed the difference. I mean, because obviously they're not going to look above the tits. <laughs> the bracelet Hashtag found... Hashtag true story. Right. <laughs> the bracelet found by Simons. Remember, he took him out to the park and found that he went and took another look. It was suspected to be a plant. They only found it after Jill's case. And it looked brand new. Not something that had been outside in dirt for two years. Oh, it was two years later? Mm-hmm. Mm. So it was like a brand-ass new bracelet in the sand. And if you know anything about the sand in the ocean, what happens? Gets rubbed Corrodes. to hell and back. Mm-hmm. Dan confided in her the suspicion that the whole case against Spence and the Melendez brothers was made up and had sus- reason to suspect Tab Harper. Witnesses had seen him at the park that night and... His name has been encountered in police reports and interviews several times. So he was in the orbit of this time. Before long, Jan and Dana became fast friends and allies, and she was able to get him interviews he couldn't previously get, such as a woman who said she had seen Harper's van next to the Pinto that night. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Dana said he felt sure it was Harper, who allegedly was both a drug dealer and close to Kenneth and two henchmen. Harper was no longer alive to talk he had killed himself with a shotgun in 1994 when police tried to arrest him after he attacked an elderly couple with a knife hmm. dana reached out to the spence's attorney reeves from his abuse case who also happened to have represented joe sydney williams from the juanita white case he suggested dana took take a look into juanita's case as he believed that they were safe scapegoats as well in 1992 the 10th court of appeals overturned williams murder conviction ruling that testimony against him from the informants was inadmissible, and in June 1993, he was released and given the paltry sum of $31,250 for his time behind bars. And you're looking at, like, I think a decade. Are you kidding me? That's it. Washington, however, remained in prison, so Dana decided to look into the case. In early 1999, he received a copy of Juanita's autopsy, which noted the presence of semen. The first conviction based on DNA happened in 1988. So at the time of Juanita's murder in 1986, it wasn't an established practice. The first 
DNA exoneration in the country was in 1989. The DNA of a Chicago man convicted of rape was not shown not to match the semen found on his alleged victim's underwear. Since then, this exclusionary approach had led to the exoneration of dozens of others. Mm. The DNA from Juanita's case had never been tested for DNA, and Dannon was determined to get it done. He tracked down Williams and asked to provide a blood sample so that it could be compared with the evidence from the crime scene that refute any claims of his guilt, and Williams wholeheartedly agreed and had blood drawn that very day. Dan visited Washington in prison, and he, too, agreed to provide blood. At this point, all they needed was the evidence DNA from the crime scene to compare it to. At Reeves' request, the DA's office arranged for four envelopes from White's rape kit to be sent to the medical examiner, and to Dan's horror, they were empty. I was going to say, spoiler alert, huh? Mm-hmm. They didn't get shit. That is right. Thankfully, though, the crime lab that had done her autopsy had saved vaginal and anal swabs. And in November 2000, the results came back as no match to either Williams or Washington. The DNA paid for by Dannon had cost $10,000 and put down, he put down his journalist hat at that time to become a paralegal for Reeves. The question remained, whose semen was it? I can't not giggle at that. <laughs> and then I wrote, sounds like every frat house. <laughs> <laughs> Who's just is this? <laughs> Who's this responsible party? I cannot stand you. <laughs> Kyle, I told you to stop jacking off on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> I had to... I had, to, I had to give Emma an ibuprofen pill the other day because we're out of the baby liquid. And she was like, I really don't like to swallow that. And I was like, I don't either. And JJ was like, you're so inappropriate. I was like, she's not what I'm talking about. That's your dirty mind. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter, JJ. <laughs> Dan and remember Shonen had given him an affidavit that mentioned Benny Carroll. However, Carol, Carol was dead. Of self-inflicted bullet fever. Shotgun. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you say bullet fever? Yes. <laughs> I don't want to ruin it. It sounded so serious that I got to that and it was like shotgun in parentheses. I'm like, what am I talking about? It literally says, however, Carol was dead of self-inflicted bullet fever. <laughs> shotgun. But bullet the fever. Lab- All right. That's a new one. Yeah. Hashtag, we're putting our trademark on that. <laughs> bullet fever. <laughs> but the lab had performed an autopsy. LOL, why? <laughs> I love reading my notes <laughs> as I'm going through this. <laughs> and saved some of his blood, which is kind of smart at the time. And it was determined in February 2001 to be a match. Oh. Further DNA on the sweatshirt in Juanita's home did not match her DNA. Governor Rick Perry gave Washington a full pardon, and Judge Allen ordered he be released July 5th, 2001, after spending more than 15 years behind bars. Did they give him $5? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't say that perfect. Damn I got it. five on it. I got five on it. <laughs> this actually reignited death penalty talks across the country as this became national news. However, Fazell said the DNA changed nothing. Like, it's some mythical science. Duh. So, like, it made me think of, like, so everybody's done this ancestry DNA and 23andMe. Before I, I had done it, my aunt was telling me. I about, don't want the government to track me. <laughs> oh, my God. Because I'm woke. I'm woke. 
Okay. <laughs> so my uncle had gotten ancestry DNA done and it was like 1% uh, African, like Senegalese or Congolese or something like that. And they told my grandma about like his rundown and she was like, uh-uh, because my grandma was super racist. She was like, uh, no, we're pure. And they're like, well, it's DNA. She's like, well, I'm mama. <laughs> I don't think that works like that. Uh, okay. <laughs> we're not back in 1940. All right. Well, mama knows. Well, DNA knows more. <laughs> A little bit. A little bit. It merely proved, he said that it merely proved there was another suspect. Simons felt, also felt this way, but there were few in the crowd that of many that believe their innocence. With all this DNA news, Dana discovered that there was untested evidence for the lake murders. He had to get the assistance of Jan to retrieve these items from the authorities as it was Jill's personal belongings. In September 1999, Special Prosecutor David Chapman turned over his evidence to Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office. It included clothing, bloody bindings, the stray hairs, two beer cans, and more. Sounds just like my personal items. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> the medical examiner's office did not test the item, so Dan arranged to have them tested at his expense at a private lab. Now, he had already gotten like this advance for his book, so that's where a lot of this money's coming from. In July 2001, Jan decided to show her family the overwhelming evidence that Jill's killer was still at large, and they needed to know that Spence and the Melendez brothers may have been innocent after all. Damn. In a huge presentation that was about three hours long, is this a timeshare? <laughs> he offered details about Debs, who had died in 1999 of liver cancer. So that's three of the four gone. He also provided information about Simon's borderline illegal methods and that while he suspected Benny Carroll of Juanita's death, he wasn't connected to the late killings. He also played Fazell's tapes, one include, including one which Fazell spoke despairingly about Simon's investigative methods. Because remember, in the beginning, he wasn't like, he was like, this motherfucker's a little crazy. And then he realized he could use his crazy for his evil. And they became like this duo. With Tol Tony being the sole defendant left, the family was happy to hear that Dannon was publishing a truth of the, publishing a book of the truth to exonerate the innocent man. Jill's brother Brad was struck by the detail that after Spence's second trial, that Carlton Stowers, which was the author of the book of the Waco Lake murders, Careless Whispers, had bought Gilbert's truck and towed it to Simon's property. Simon's is that detective, right? Mm -hmm. Both the Melendez brothers had testified they used the vehicle to transport the bodies to Spiegelville Park. Supposedly key evidence, the trucks then sat outside for more than two years before Simon sold it to a junk dealer who scrapped it. Take this in mind, though. Two years after that, the trials are still going on. Why are you hiding it? Yeah. Why are you scrapping it? The truck was destroy being destroyed. That was huge. Why would it be destroyed, Brad told me. We held Truman on a pedestal for so long. Now it was possible he had orchestrated the whole thing. At this point, Dannon had been in Texas three years and became a tra Texas transplant, planting roots with a girlfriend and making friends. The DNA had exhausted the savings he had had from his book advance and movie options on his magazine stories because he was really, like, had done a lot of exposés of, like, really tough stories and had gotten movie deals from those. He'd become obsessed 
with the case more than ever and began to feel afraid for his safety because his work had created bad publicity for Fazell and Simons. When he was drawn into a libel lawsuit with Fazell, he was afraid he would be subpoenaed for his work on the murder, so he packed everything up and ran away to Mexico, working on the case from a distance. While the van that belonged to Harper had been destroyed, the owner who had gotten the um, van and had it destroyed had actually kept the gold carpet from the interior. And that's the only time hoarding is a good thing. <laughs> Sent it off uh, to be compared to the fibers found on Kenneth's body, and they were unable to exclude its gold fibers from the gold carpet fibers, fibers found on Kenneth's body. Eventually, in 2004, he finished a draft of his book and was awarded a Soros Justice Media Fellowship a year later. In his commendation, the foundation wrote that Dannon's would be the first book to prove a wrongful execution has taken place in America. Mm. He, felt, however, felt the book was far from finished and needed to prove and exonerate Tony Melendez to truly finish. By 2008, he spent $30,000 on forensic testing and nothing overly substantial came to light. He and Reeves, along with the ex-wife of Vizelle, Bernadette, a bad bitch, <laughs> made a plea to her old friend, Governor Rick Perry. It never worked out. But they did apply for funding for the Texas Center for Actual Innocence at UT's School of Law and sent off more items for testing. That's when, like, be, be careful about your exes now. This is the DA's ex-wife is like, you know what? Fuck him. He wrong. <laughs> you a bad bitch, Bernadette. <laughs> As time wore on, so did Jan's patience. Now, this is like late 2000s, right? Mm -hmm. The murder happened in 1982. She'd been waiting for like years, right? Her pa Jan's patience as well as her family had wore, wore out. And Dannon would call saying that he was close and nothing would happen. So by 2013, she stopped speaking to him altogether. After so long and after all the promises he made, I lost faith in him. I know he put in many hours of sleepless nights, but I also know he raised hopes for people and didn't follow through. Dannon now lives in San Miguel, and at the time of the, the article, the author spoke to him. He was still insistent he was close, now hoping to use new science of touch DNA to find evidence to exonerate Tony. When asked why he hadn't published anything to help free Tony, it wouldn't have made any difference for Tony. Absolutely none. Again, people speculating. <sighs> a, book, <laughs> a book comes out by a New York writer that says Tony's innocent and Texas may have ex executed an innocent man and Tony's going to get clemency. Nobody knows how this works and would believe he'd get pardoned on the basis of my book. Better to wait for DNA results, he said, to prove that Melendez didn't do it and that the others did. I believe in our system, but the system failed in this case. I believe Raul Schoenman made a legal case that should have prevented Spence from being executed. I can't say for certain he was innocent, but I know he was wrongly executed. And there's not a shred of doubt in my mind that Anthony Melendez is innocent. Not a shred of doubt. Tony Melendez sat in jail for 31 years. He did admit that he wasn't a good man, but innocent of these murders and have paid for the crimes he had done. He doesn't remember what exactly he was doing the night of July 13th, 1982. Fuck, I can't remember what I was doing last week. Right? Fucking an hour ago. Damn. Yeah. But does, like, we, how many times have we podcasted, like, recorded something, and then we listen to it later, like, oh, I forgot we even said that. Oh, every time. <laughs> every episode. I ain't gonna remember anything from 1987. I was born that year. Shit. Um, he does know this. 
I was with my uncle and cousins in Bryant, Texas, painting apartments. We'd work 10 hours a day, and I didn't have a car, so I'd stay a week at a time. We'd paint all day, then throw down our sleeping bags, turn on a radio, cook, and go to sleep. Next day, we'd get up and start working again. He also admits that the case was stacked from the start. I wasn't a saint, and my brother wasn't a saint. Spence was an ant's con, and Deeb wasn't from here. <laughs> Which I mean, true. <laughs> he was pressed by investigators at the time. They kept saying, tell us the truth. You did it. You know you did it. You're going to die for it. Let us help you so you don't go to death row. His attorneys at the time pressed him to plead guilty as they know he was doomed and destined for the, the death penalty. His mother pleaded with him to do the opposite as she knew he was innocent, with the attorneys telling her, you're going to kill your boy. Mm. That's such a hard like position as a mother because especially one got the death sentence and was killed. I would just tell my son, just just say you're guilty so you can do life and I can still see you. Yeah. Tony bluntly told Simons at one point, you know I didn't do this. I'm tired of lying. I can do the time. He has sparked, he had a spark of hope when Danny came along in 1999 and the DNA testing to be done. But just like the others, he was disappointed and lost hope in Danon. Jill's Aunt Jan writes every few weeks to Melinda saying, I felt it was the thing to do. I know he's no angel, but as far as what he's there for, that's not what I call justice. I just don't believe he had anything to do with the murders. She hoped for the redemption of Tony Melendez. Every now and then, I think I should not have gotten this personally involved, but I felt like Tony needed to have someone on his side. I don't know if I want to see an innocent man get freed or if I just so deeply want to know who the guilty people are. There's, though there's a chance we're never going to know for sure who killed those kids. He was denied for parole in May 2016 despite claiming his innocence. About just baffles me. Like, that's... When they say the courts are a machine, it really is. Mm -hmm. And after a while, these people who work, and I've worked in courts, after a while, you, you become desensitized. You do. And they're no longer people. They're folders. Mm -hmm. They're numbers. They have their inmate number, and they just become a number. And everybody's story is the same sad fucking story. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. You just get, and they sit down, they're like, I didn't do it. You're like, okay. We don't need to talk about this. Come on. Let's get done what you need yeah, to get done. I don't care. You don't even want to hear it. I'm just here to do my job. Because everybody didn't do it. Everybody. Tony Melendez, the last living Waco murders defendant, died on Friday, January 13th, 2017, at 57, at a prison hospice in the Michael Unit in Tennessee Colony, not far from Palestine. Melendez had been suffering from multiple maladies, including bone cancer and kidney failure, and he had also recently undergone gallbladder surgery. That's random, but okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. He's got this cancer, this cancer, and he had gallbladder surgery. The motherfucker couldn't eat nothing fatty. <laughs> I'm like them stones. Random. <laughs> <laughs> so that means all four. Now, while Deeb was exonerated, he only had a few years on the outside before he succumbed to cancer. You know, Gilbert died. Tony's dead. And, of course, David Spence was executed. So, where is everybody today? Sadly, with this case being so old, some of the pe people, some of the folks from this time are gone. Of course, all the defendants have passed. The truth still fully hasn't come to light. Truman Simons had passed at the age of 78 in November 2021. Oh, wow, just last year. Mm -hmm. Still proclaiming he had gotten the right men. It's been 40 years since the murders. 
Kenneth would have been 58. Raylene and Jill would have been 57. Vic Fazell has his own law office now and still maintains he was correct in the case. Jan Price has retired from active duty and now works part-time in WPD's personnel department as of the 2014 article. I couldn't find anything super current. As of the article in 2014, Calvin Washington and Joe Sidney Williams were back in prison. Washington for theft, Williams for cocaine possession and evading arrest. Spence's ex-wife now lives in Louisiana and looks back at the years with sadness. Those kids didn't deserve to die. Their parents, it's horrible what they've been through, but my two children have suffered too. David's mom suffered. I suffered. It never goes away. Frederick Dannon still lives in Mexico, writing for local newspapers. Raul Showman teaches at University of Texas, Austin, as Capital Punishment Clinic Professor. And as of the article in 2014, Jan Thompson, which is Jill's aunt, lived in a retirement village, but does not make it out to Jill's, but does make it out to Jill's grave from time to time to clean it up and look at the mementos left by visitors. One of the notes said, "Someday we'll all know what really took place." That's really sad. When I started this and it was like twisty, like, oh, these guys are guilty. Well, maybe they're not guilty. Oh, they're definitely not guilty. I mean, they're, they were, let's not forget that the beginning of this story, we're talking about he was already in trouble for abusing a child and having that child perform oral sex on another friend, right. which was also a co-defendant. So, no, definitely not angels in any capacity. They had the ability to do these things, but they didn't. And the fact of the matter is, is the people who actually did it have gone on to probably kill others. If you do it one time, it's going to be easier the next. And that's the unhappy story of the Lake Waco murders. That's really sad to never have like a definitive answer of what happened. I want to punch that motherfucker... Uh, Simon Frederick Dannon because I'm like you could have fucking put your fucking book out damn oh yeah I mean because I have to say growing up and working in law enforcement I always thought the death penalty was just in this as time's gone on and the things I've read about do we ever have the ability to 110% know that someone's guilty and do we necessarily need to have that power to kill someone well, you know, it's such like, in my opinion, it's such like um, such a fine line because I can see both sides. Like one side is in a case like this, like I don't believe he was guilty and he was murdered and there's they're killed. There's nothing that you can do to go back and change it. Right. But then on the other hand, working in the correctional side that I have, I see these guys who have committed horrific crimes and they don't get the death penalty and they get to go on and they get to live and their family comes and visits them and some of them get married while they're in there and they have these pen pals and they still get people to put money on their books and they get food out of the canteen and they get to watch their children grow up and they get this and that and I'm like that's so unfair because the person that you murdered didn't get to grow up exactly. so why the fuck should you get to you know watch your children but then the, like you were saying there's the other side. How can we ever be definitively sure? And sometimes we are. Oh, yeah. You know? Sometimes there are times are. that, like, Ted Bundy, there were witnesses. we know. Randy Kraft, we know. You know, there are times that we know, but there are the times that we don't know. And in times of uncertainty to, yes, I can understand keeping them in jail, but to keep the death sentence going and not 
you know, put it as an indefinite stay until things have cleared out. And there's a lot of pride, you know. Mm -hmm. We were talking about, you know, you at the hospital with your son the other day. They were holding up you guys in that room as punishment, which held up anybody else from using that room. Mm -hmm. For personality, for, for like... Right. And that showboating, like, oh, I got the power, even though you were right. You know, right. like, there's a lot of that in every industry. And that's it right here. You know, Fazell is like, I can't say I'm wrong. Absolutely, I'm not wrong. And, you know, sometimes you, it's kind of like when you get onto your kid and they get into trouble, they get in trouble for something that you find out later they didn't do. You know, the other kid did. But it's like, well, I'm sure we grew up hearing, I'm sure you got away with something at some point. Yeah. So this is kind of, you know, tick for tack right. kind of thing. And sometimes I feel like law enforcement looks at it like that, like that, like with these guys. Well, in their mind, they'll never verbally say, maybe you didn't do this, but you did a lot of other shit. So we're going to let you pay for this. But I'm a firm believer in you pay for the crime that you did. Not if you got away with something fucking good for you. Count as a tally mark on your wall. Whatever the fuck you want. You got away with it. But we're not going to punish you for something that you didn't do. Exactly. You know? If you go in and you pay your dues. The difference between me and someone behind bars is that they were caught for doing something. Which I've done stuff illegal. For sure. We all have. I, I if you've ever had a drink, don't, you've gotten don't the car Don't worry about broke. it, FBI and NSA. I didn't do anything. But, <laughs> like, the difference is they got caught, and now they're painting the penance for it. That does not make me better than them. Exactly. You know, when I had to take a psychological exam to work at a certain facility, they told us in it, they were like, you have to answer everything truthful. For example, every single person in here needs to answer yes to have I ever stolen something. And they were like, I don't care if you, in your mind, I've never went to a store and stole a sweater or this or that. If you've went to a bank and you've taken the bank pen and left with it, you have stolen something. Exactly, yeah. Everybody has stolen something. And, you know, that goes along with what you said of we've all committed a crime. It's just whether we've gotten caught or not. And I'm, obviously, there are varying degrees. But, you know, you have to be careful where you lay your judgment. And you have to be careful where you lay your pride. Like, trying to convict these people because of a, past they had of not being decent individuals is not fair to convict them of something they didn't do yeah you know right now i'm working on um spoiler i'm working on some amish murders and the amish view of things i've learned a lot but one of them is uh so the amish they don't believe in revenge and retribution and and vengeance and things they believe that it's just god's will and it's hard to think like that's a good way but Justice is supposed to be blind. And that's where the, the, I was looking for quotes that made sense. You know, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Even though Muhammad Ghani's a shit person that like to sit next to young girls. Bro, when his, you said that, I was like, man, that makes so much sense. But then does. at the same time, like the different side of me is like, but. If it was me and mine. If a motherfucker would, this motherfucker would too. Exactly. Who's to say? But is that really the correct yeah way to see but then you can always flip it back over well if i don't see that way then this motherfucker thinks they can exactly so it's like we like to say things are black and white but they're not they're not there is 50 billion shades of gray in this world mm -hmm. and all of it's fucked up like that book yeah and and excruciating you know, <laughs> looking at something is looking Anything, at something right? but then filtering an emotion into something is different because i can look at 
what you did and what you should have done. But then when you put in my emotion that you did it to my family member, completely changes how I feel about the situation. 110%. So. I want to give a little shout out and a thank you. I had never heard of the Lake Waco murders. I'm also I had never heard of it either. But uh, our friend Ian actually recommended this, and he does gaming on Twitch. And his handle is Oaks Aid. O-A-K-S-A-I-D-E. Ian, thank you. Honestly. Appreciate you, bro. Bro, like, this is a really good story. It it came, I, I, when I first started reading about it, it was one thing, and then by the end, it's like whole societal things, and I'm like, right. mind blown. Well, well suggested. Thank you. And so, uh, man, that was deep and heavy. Let's have some fun. Uh, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Please. We appreciate it. Follow us on the socials. Give us any uh, recommendations of cases you want to hear us talk about. Anybody you want us to roast. I have a great time doing that. 100%. I, I if love you're not sure, out. click back, listen to John List, and hear about syphilis eye. Yeah. Just saying. We're equal opportunity, okay? 100%. We roast everybody. And we'll even roast ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we do. You want us to do it? Done. <laughs> Jen, you look like you have. <laughs> I'm growing out my grays right now. You want me to put a photo? They're not looking good right now. Girl, you look gorgeous. I look like I just couldn't hit the salon up in about a month. <laughs> good thing I wear a scrub cap You know cap what? At work. You just say, I'm a nurse and it's hard out here. Well, at work, I wear a scrub cap five days a week. So I, so I told JJ this is the perfect time to do it because nobody looks at my hair all week. So it's That's just on the weekend. True. So... Yeah. And then there's Photoshop and filters. And I have the spray on hair color to cover the roots if I go somewhere <laughs> in the meantime. I'd but be worried because I am a hot natured person and I sweat like at a blink of an eye that I would have like. <laughs> coming down my face. I feel like I still look young enough that when I rock all the gray that I'm just going to look still Girl, super cute. Let me tell you what happened the other day. It was bring your mother to Matt day. Okay. Go ahead, but I'm already feeling a little insulted that my gray hairs are like, it's bring your mother. Like, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> I did not know it was bring your mom to the mat day at karate. So, of course, I'm not wearing karate oh. appropriate things. But all the mothers had to get up. Oh. And I, this little girl next to me. You were not me, prepared for this, were you? No, I was not. And this little girl next to me goes, I like your hair because my hair's blue. And she goes, are you her mom? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, you look like you could be her sister. And I'm. <gasps> 99% sure she meant my blue hair and that I was dressed with a band shirt like I was in middle school or something, but I will take it for a youthful glow. I would have started crying and been like, I'm going to leave my kid and take you home. <laughs> you are the sweetest. <laughs> yes. I'm like 22. Totally. I had a really young. <laughs> like, I've heard of people doing that, like, when your kid's an adult, but, like, she's very obviously eight and I very obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> Very obviously not. Like, you look like no you're offense, you have sister. a young Yes, blue. we basically she just calls me mom as the nickname. <laughs> and I'm hoping that when I grow these grays out, that I look still very young. It's in. It's if the thing. I don't, I will color it back ASAP. But then, like your hair will be super healthy at that point. Think about it. That's virgin hair. I know. Julie will come see you soon. Don't worry. I know. But I don't want to shout her out too much because then people may come see her and then I can't get in for an appointment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't do that. Guys, so, don't. We're not going to even. <sighs> I'm Julie's mother. She's 
Yeah. She's amazing. <laughs> she is. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys, until next time. Stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And do not bring it too close to home. And if you do, watch out for them DAs and those uh, Colombo detectives. Okay? For real, for real. Don't be caught for doing a crime you didn't do. Nope. Put it on the news. Yep. Make it on socials. Go Facebook Live. For real. Although, but that would be funny. <laughs> cooperate a little bit. Cooperate. Bye. <laughs> Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.